Amen. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? You good? Pretty exciting day already in worship. I hope you've enjoyed worship up until this point. I know I certainly have. It is good to be back with you all. Uh, Before we jump in, I did uh, miss an announcement this morning that I was told that I needed to announce. You see, as a church, as a faith family, we uh, have the joy and the pleasure to uh, not only grieve with those who grieve and mourn with those who mourn, but the joy and the pleasure as well to celebrate with those who are celebrating. And so uh, I think it's good and right that this announcement stands alone this morning. And so I want to take a moment and cordially invite our church family to a bridal shower uh, honoring and celebrating Catherine Thacker. And so uh, that's going to be happening. If you don't know, Catherine's getting married to Reese Dial. Uh, but that shower is going to be taking place on Saturday, October 2nd from 10 to 1130. So if you get a chance, be sure to congratulate those two. Uh, be sure to keep them in prayer because uh, they have the unfortunate privilege of going through marriage counseling with me. And uh, I think it's been good, right, guys? We're doing okay. Yeah, they've taught me a lot. I'm pretty thankful for that. Uh, no, it's been a great time together. So either way, make plans to come out and join us for that, and let's, uh, let's celebrate two of our own as they join together in matrimony. So having said that, uh, before we dive in our series, I do again want to take a moment and uh, just say a word of thank you to all of you for your prayers this past weekend. As many of you knew, uh, my family and I were out of town. We were in uh, Dothan, Alabama. Uh, visiting um, family, celebrating uh, our nephew who had just gotten engaged. This was a very quick trip out of town, left on a Friday evening, drove back on a Sunday evening, got back in the wee hours of Monday morning, and it has been go, go, go for us since then. But I do want to take a moment just to thank Corey, thank Jason uh, for faithfully leading us, our elders as well. Uh, Job well done. Uh, Met with Jason this week to talk about his sermon, and uh, I think I might have surprised him when I told him I've already listened to it twice. Um, It was that good. And so I'll go and tell you, I listened to it again this weekend. So brother, thank you uh, for being so faithful to the word. If you missed last week, you should probably go online and listen to it. You can find it on any of our audio accounts we have, or you can watch it on YouTube. That's a very handsome man. So watch him as he preaches as well. Um, Right, Zyda? Is that okay? Yeah, okay, good. I want to make sure I got that in. So anyway, I'm thankful for this brother. I'm thankful that uh, in a couple weeks, we're going to get an opportunity to hear from him again. And then, um, and then uh, he'll just start preaching every week after that. Sound good? No? Okay. All right. Well, I tried. So anyway, thankful for those brothers for leading. Uh, again, thankful for Corey Dunbar, who led our prayer gathering last week as well. Uh, it was just a wonderful week. And man, I got to tell you, it's a joy and an honor to know uh, that we have brothers in Christ who can be so faithful in the word of God. And I got to tell you, uh, we're going to continue to hear from these brothers because I believe it is good and right for us as a church family Uh, to hear uh, from other brothers as well and to hear them proclaim the word. Now, I'm hoping to continue this pattern for us as a church uh, so that we are faithfully hearing the word being taught uh, from our brothers in Christ, whether they be elders or brothers who are praying about going into ministry and pastoral ministry vocationally. Uh, so hopefully we'll get more opportunities to hear uh, from these guys as well. Now, having said that, I want to let you know that we are still in our study through Philippians. We are back in our series called Joyful Unity. Uh, we are actually moving into chapter two uh, this morning, and here we're going to see Paul is now really going to get to his instruction and his words of encouragement Uh, for the local church at Philippi. And Paul, in our passage this morning, will call the church to complete joy. Now, in thinking about that phrase, complete joy, we have to ask ourselves, what does it look like 
to have complete joy. I mean, really, honestly, if we start to think about it, you may lead yourself to the question of asking, well, how can joy ever be complete? Well, if I could define uh, complete simply for you in layman terms, it is having all necessary parts being made whole or made full. You see, as a society today, we are always seeking to be made whole. I think it's safe to say as a society today, we are, we are always seeking the things that will satisfy us, or better yet, seeking the things that will fulfill us. Many of us think that this can be done by finding meaning in who we are, or finding meaning and purpose in what it is that we do. We think that finding joy or finding completeness or satisfaction will be found in making a major difference in someone else's life or, or perhaps even making a breakthrough in, in some sort of arena that will ultimately add the title and description of philanthropist to our name. But you see, for Paul in our text this morning, Paul is actually going to tell the local church that complete joy is found in how we serve one another with humble compassion. You see, for Paul, both in our, our passage and our text this morning, but also in, in what you heard last week, he, he wanted the church to be both tough, in, order, in other words, fighting for their faith, fighting to defend the gospel, and yet at the same time be tender or be compassionately serving one another. And so Paul teaches us that there will be a time to take a stand, and yet there will also be a time to be affectionate and tender towards one another in Christian love. Either way, Paul shows us that unity and togetherness should be a priority for all believers. And so as believers in Christ, Paul speaking to these believers, he wants us to see that we are really an unworthy people who received grace. And because of this truth, we should be willing to extend tender love through humble service towards others. And that is what Paul calls complete joy. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to join me in Philippians chapter 2, and we will begin reading together in verse 1. And once you can, and if you are able, if you have found your place in the Word, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now this is Paul's writing to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Paul writes, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you so much for this day and we thank you for the opportunity that we have now to be in your word. Father, I pray that in these next few moments that we have together, Lord, I pray that you would be glorified. May it be your name that is magnified and lifted up above all else. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we've already had this morning to 
to worship you in song. I thank you for the opportunity we've already had to worship you through the, the spoken word and through prayer. And Father, we pray that as we spend the next few moments together unpacking your word, God, we pray that your name would be magnified above all else in this time. Father, I pray as your people that we would be a people who seek joyful unity. That we would be a people who realize that what we have that's worth defending is the gospel itself. But yet at the same time, as believers in Christ, as the family of God, you have called us to be tender towards one another, to care for one another, to show compassion to one another. Father, by your word, you reveal that the way we do these things is through unity together. So, Father, we pray now in these next few moments as we study your word, we ask that you and you alone would be glorified. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for delighting in us. And we pray now that you would be with us. For it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, if I could set the scene for you, clearly unity is still on Paul's mind and heart as he writes these words. You see, his focus now is going to center on unity within the church. So as we saw last week, what we were taught by Jason is that we do have something worth fighting for, and that something was the gospel itself. And in the gospel, we are called to stand firm. And so as we got to the end of chapter 1, we see there is Paul calling us to take that stand for the gospel and to take a stand also against the outside pressures that are trying to impact or infiltrate the local church. And so as we come into our text this morning, we're now going to see Paul teaching the church at Philippi to now pursue an attitude and action within the body that would enable them to overcome division even amongst their own ranks. So as we dive into our text this morning, Paul is going to teach that complete joy is simply made when the church is unified together. So what Paul is going to do this morning in our four verses together is give us three points of unity that should ultimately lead us to complete joy as believers. So let's unpack these points together this morning. In verse 1, Paul gives us his first point, and he gives us the motivation for unity. You see, Paul begins verse 1 with a, a series of if statements, if you will. You see, for Paul, these statements were not possibilities, nor were these statements any type of suggestions, but rather these were certainties that we should all know as believers in Christ. Literally, Paul in this first verse is reminding the believers of the chords that bind believers together as one faith family. And so we're going to look at these statements briefly and look at them a little closer to see if we can understand what it is that Paul is saying. Paul begins by saying, if there is any encouragement in Christ... Now here Paul reminds us that our encouragement in Jesus Christ comes from the blessing of knowing who Christ is and therefore having a right relationship with him. So already in the first statement, we should be asking ourselves, what is our hope? What is it about our faith that lifts us up? And our answer as believers is very simple. It's knowing Christ and knowing that we are his. 
So you see, in the midst of trial, in the midst of suffering, a trial and a suffering that Paul understood all too well, here in this moment, Paul reminds us again that we are always to find our encouragement in our relationship with Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. He goes from there and says, if there is any comfort from love. Now, in this particular phrase, Paul here is referencing the love of Jesus Christ and how it is his love for us that should be the only love that can and will comfort us. You see, Paul wants to remind the believers that as believers in Jesus Christ, as those who believe that he is Savior and Lord, he is ours and we are his. And because of this love that we now have for Jesus Christ and the love that he now has for us, we should see that we are called to love one another in the same way. You see, the love that we have for each other should ultimately flow from the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. And so in our second if statement, we need to ask ourselves as believers, man, how are we doing at loving the people who are around us in this place? Is that love that we have for one another as a faith family, is that that truly an outflow or an outpouring of the love that Christ has shown us? Or are we just hoarding the love that Christ has for us, refusing to share it with those who are in our midst? Paul continues and he says, if there is any participation in the Spirit. Now here we have the Greek word for the word fellowship. Paul here is telling us that since we are brothers and sisters in the gospel, since we have been called together for the purpose of the advancement of the gospel, since we now understand this love for one another, do we now see the calling that has been placed upon each of our lives? Do you begin to see and hear and understand what it is that Paul is trying to teach us in this moment? You see, in Paul's words right here, Paul is clearly telling us that when it comes to the church at Philippi, he clearly was aware of the disunity that was threatening the stability of the local church. And so Paul reminds them of the fellowship that they now share within the gospel that was given to them by the Spirit of God. You see, even in the midst of their differences, it is still the gospel that binds them together. I mean, when we think about these words in our current context today, do we realize today that we have differences? I mean, literally, look around the room. We are from all walks of life. Many of us are in different stages of life. Many of us have different preferences when it, when it comes to football teams or when it comes to, 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 to different beliefs in terms of pandemics. We have different views on, on, on how we see certain restaurants. There are several of us that disagree over restaurants. We all have our differences. But at the same time as Christians, do we realize that it is the gospel that was given to us by the Spirit of God that now brings us or now binds us together. You see, in spite of our differences, 
even when we disagree, we should be reminded that it is the gospel of Jesus Christ that truly binds us together as one faith family. Paul moves from there in a text and he says that there is any affection and sympathy. Now here is Paul's final part of the if statements and here he spends time speaking on the the tenderness and the mercy that was shown to us through our union with Jesus Christ. Now this is good to remember that clearly it was God who first showed us his mercy and not the other way around. So Paul understood at this point the need and the goodness of the mercy of God and that's why he speaks of it right here in chapter 2 verse 1. In fact, when thinking of the, the goodness and the, the mercy of God, when thinking of the affection and the, the sympathy of God, we need to look no further than Romans chapter 12 to see that it is, it is Paul who speaks of how we are people who appeal to God's mercy for those around us as they live out their lives as an act of worship. Again, in talking to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 3, it is Paul who calls for God's blessing as the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. You see, Paul knew that the source of our tenderness, the source of our compassion, the source of our mercy was our great God. Mercy originates with God. Compassion originates with God. Truth, goodness, beauty, all of these things originate with God. And so the fact that we are the objects of God's compassion should lead us to look out for one another. It should lead us to seek mercy for one another, to seek out showing compassion to one another, to seek out looking for the truth and the good and the beauty within one another and therefore lead us to serve one another sacrificially. So at this moment, we need to ask ourselves, man, why are we spending so much time on these if statements? Well, the reality for us this morning is I just want us to see I want us to see that our need for complete joy is rooted in a unity that is built upon things that as believers in Christ, we already know to be true. Let me unpack what I mean for you. You see, as believers today, we know who Jesus Christ is. As believers today, we know that Jesus is Lord. As, as believers today, we know that, that Jesus is Savior. As believers, we know the comfort of his love. As believers, we know that by the word of God and by the grace of God, we are called to be together. And begin by the word of God, given to us by the grace of God, we now know of his kindness and his goodness and his mercy. And because of the things that we now know, we need to be reminded of what it is that we are now called to do. So here in this passage, Paul is setting the tone really of a, of a warm pastoral word that knows what it is that we have and what it is that we share, and it's all given to us by the blessing of the gospel. 
You see, Paul wants the local church to see the fruit and to see the benefit of the gospel before he gets into his instruction for the local church. He wants the church to see the source or the motivation for unity. So we have to ask ourselves this morning, man, why be reminded of the gospel? I mean, why is that so important to be reminded of the gospel? Not only to, to defend the gospel, as we talked about last week, but, but why be reminded of it again this week? Because if all we do is tell people what they are supposed to be doing and what they are supposed to not do, then those people will grow weary of the message. You see, even as Christians, we need to be reminded of the goodness and the blessing that is found in the gospel. You see, there are blessings within the gospel. And so Paul starts in his motivation on unity with the gospel. And as believers today, we too, need to be focused on the gospel, especially when we are preparing to give instruction to the people around them. And so this is exactly what Paul gives us. He gives us gospel before he gives instruction. Now let me unpack what I mean by that. You see, here's the reality, and Paul understood this very well. We are not called to be the holy hammer of God. Okay? If you don't know what I mean, let me unpack that even further. No one in this room has been given the title of Holy Hammer, okay? No one in this room at any point in our service is going to stand up with the biggest version of the Bible they have and then just uh, hit somebody with it. That's not what we're doing. That's not what we're about. I think I just discouraged several people on this side of the room. Some of y'all were really looking forward to that title. I understand that. But that's not the call. The call is to give instruction according to the word. The call is to to sacrificially serve one another. The call is to love one another. And yes, even when the hard conversations have to happen, we have to love one another to have them, not because we want to beat them senseless, but because we want to see people restored and reconciled to one another in grace. Notice that nowhere in there we see us becoming the holy hammer. Rather, as God's people, we need to be a people who share in relationship with one another. We need to be a people who speak truth to one another. And when we speak truth, and I'm not just talking little t, I'm talking capital T truth, according to the word of God, when we speak that truth to one another, let's remember that we're called to speak it in grace. The same grace that Jesus Christ has shown us. Now, to give you an idea of what I'm talking about, I remember being a football coach, and at the beginning of the season, we had our head coach sit down with us and talk to us about what it means to be a great coach. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, this football coach was a man that I very much respected, a man that I very much trusted, and a man who very much intimidated me. You see, he came from the line of coaching of Nick Saban. He was Nick Saban's tight ends coach for a very long time when he was at LSU, and then he followed Nick Saban down to the Miami Dolphins, and by God's grace, he did not go to the University of Alabama. Uh, He went on and came up to Clark Central High School, and for that, we were truly thankful. 
But one of the things that he shared with us as coaches was this. He said, I want you brothers to know that there's a difference between being a great coach and just another man on the sideline. And I want you to be aware that before I tell you this, I'm not looking for other men on the sidelines. I'm looking for great coaches. You see, the difference is found in the teaching. Now, yes, as coaches, he went on to say, yes, as coaches on a football sideline, you have to yell at your players. Yes, your voice is going to carry a different cadence so that that way your specific positions can hear their coach. And so you're going to have to do a lot of yelling to get their attention. But if you ever want mistakes to be corrected, then you have to be willing to teach. He said teaching is what separates a great coach from another man on the sideline. You see, as God's people, we have to be teachers of truth. As God's people, we can't sit around all day, every day, yelling and screaming and raising our voices about what? Nothing. We gotta be people who willingly point others to the word of God. We have to be people who willingly point others to Jesus Christ. And so we have to ask ourselves this morning, how are we pointing our people to Jesus Christ? Better yet, before we speak ourselves, before we begin to instruct others, are we even taking a moment to think upon our own missteps before we correct someone of theirs? Before we correct someone, Are we seeking unity or are we seeking to divide? Before we correct someone, maybe another question to ask is this. Do we think upon the goodness of God and what it is that God has called that individual to before we approach a situation? You see, Paul has reminded us of the assurance that we now have. And it's in that assurance that we see the motivation for our unity. And so now what Paul is going to do is he's going to now turn to his second point on unity. So Paul now moves from the the motivation of unity to now the command of unity, which is actually found in the beginning of verse 2. You see, here at the beginning of verse 2 is our one imperative or our one command, and it's found right here at the beginning of this verse. Paul says, complete my joy. In other words, in in verse 2, Paul's telling us, look, I want you to be a like-minded people. I want you to do things together as God has set them to be done, and I want you to do them in order to complete my joy. You see, here's the truth from us, just in this simple phrase. Our well-being will always be tied to our unity and to our growth within the church. You want a a joy that is complete in church? Then fight for the gospel. If you want a joy that's complete within the body of believers, within the brothers and sisters, then in spite of your differences, continue to fight for unity. Continue to fight for discipleship within the church. In fact, you look at 3 John verse 4, it says this, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. 
You see, for Paul in our passage today and John in 3 John verse 4, they would both agree. What brought them joy was to know that the faithful were still gathering around the word of God. They fought for unity according to the word. And so they sang the word of God. They prayed the word of God. They shared the word of God. And they were doing it individually and they were doing it corporately. You don't believe me? Look at Acts chapter 2 for further information on what that looked like. I mean, take a look in that passage, particularly in verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, to see what was important to the local body of believers. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the prayers and to the breaking of bread and the fellowship. Then when you get down to verse 47, it says, And they had all things in common. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Notice what's happening in this passage. We see it in Acts 2, verse 42. We see it here in Paul talking about it in Philippians chapter 2. Man, Paul longed for the church to be unified. And so he commands them to be unified around the word of God. That's what he's talking about when he's speaking about uh, completing his joy. You see, we now have a command from Paul to the local church. And that command was already rooted in the motivation that we see in chapter 2, verse 1. And so what Paul's now going to do is going he's going to now unpack how we are to now declare our unity to a world that is watching us, which leads us to our third point of unity, which is the declarations of unity. We see these in the second half of verse 2 all the way through verse 4. So after giving us our motivation and giving us our command, notice that Paul now turns his attention to how we can declare our unity in Christ Jesus and declare our unity for one another. Now again, I want you to notice this. When we talk about declarations here, we are literally talking about actions. We are talking about posture. We're not just talking about empty words at this point, okay? So notice the first thing Paul says here. He says, being of the same mind, having the same love, being in the full accord and of one mind. Now, let's just pause here for a moment. Paul in this moment is saying to the church, look, you have to have the same mentality as one another. Now, does this uh, mean that we are all identical in our thinking? No, Absolutely not. In fact, I'm quite confident if I were to pause the message at this moment and ask you to tell me what are you thinking about for lunch, I would imagine that everybody in here has a different place they're planning on going. In fact, do me a favor, shout them out real quick because I'm trying to figure that out myself. Home? I'm coming to your house. I like that. Thank you. Thank you. Some of y'all didn't answer. Y'all know y'all gonna eat lunch. Don't play. Don't play. I thought I heard somebody say, I'm going to go home and fast. Mm -hmm. You're going to go home and rest. And that's okay. That is good and right according to the Lord. But you see, the reality is, man, we're not all thinking the same place. And that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's not saying, look, you got to have the same mentality, i.e. all of us have to go to lunch together. Could you imagine if that happened? I mean, there's like 100 plus people in the room. Could you imagine if all of a sudden in the middle of the sermon we paused and said, here's what we're going to do. All of us are going to... 
but thank you. All of us are going to Beef O'Brady's together right now. Could you imagine Beef O'Brady's today? They are in a full-on panic as they see all of us walk in. Matter of fact, I don't even know if there is a Beef O'Brady's that could hold all of us together. Could you imagine walking in and going up to them? I can imagine Jennifer getting there ahead of all of us because she's nice like that. She's a servant like that. And they're like, hey, how many is in your party? And they just see her and Steve. And they're like, oh, two? No, a hundred. I mean, could you imagine... But the reality is we don't even agree on places we want to go for lunch. I imagine some of you probably heard Beef O'Brady's and you were like, Ugh, I'm not about that life. But no, pay attention to what Paul's saying to us. Paul, when speaking of having the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, being of one mind, he's literally telling us, hey, be at peace with each other. Paul's saying to us, look, there's, there's no need there's no need, nor is there room for petty fighting. He's telling us, man, there's, there's no need, there's no room for rivalries within the church. Now, again, are we going to disagree at times? Yeah. Are we going to have some heated conversations? Yeah. Are there going to be some conversations where we may raise our voice at each other? Yeah, if you're talking to me, yeah, because I'm naturally a loud person. It's going to happen, right? Some of y'all are nodding because you know, you're like, yeah, I just had that conversation with you. I see you. Okay, thank you for your honesty. But here's the reality. Even when we're having those conversations, it shouldn't divide who we are as a family of God. We can't have rivalries within the church. We can't have moments where we think, well, I'm better than this group of people. Or I'm thankful I'm not doing it that way because what they're doing is wrong. So thank you, God, for making me better than them. We can't be that type of person. No, what Paul is telling us this morning, he's like, look, man, when I'm, when I'm speaking to you about saying have the same mind, have the same love, being in full accord, having one mind, he's like, I'm telling you, get your head in the game. Remember who you are. Remember the, the mission that you have been given. I want to go ahead and tell you, if you've not noticed this, our new members are starting to pick up on this as they've been meeting with us, but we have this beautiful thing called a church covenant, okay? It's a part of our constitution and bylaws. We had one before we changed it. We still have one now. And you know what the, the beauty is of the church covenant? Is it reminds us of who we are as Christians. It reminds us of what it is that we are called to do. And all of it comes from the word of God. So if you've not seen the new church covenant, then let me encourage you for a moment to call us or email us at the office. We'd love to give you that document so you can go ahead and start reading it. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, as a, as a faith family, a family who believes in covenant membership, who says, yes, we affirm the word of God, and yes, we understand what it means to be a member of a church according to the word of God, and yes, we understand the mission as laid out by the word of God, we should be the type of people who maybe one Sunday morning, we have multiple covenants up here, it's the same document, just multiple copies of it, where we are all signing it together, saying that no matter what happens... Whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether it's ugly, whether we're celebrating the highest of highs or we're weeping in the lowest of lows, we are going to be together as one family of God united under the umbrella of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the abbreviated version of our church covenant, by the way. You see, that document is there to remind us again of who we are as believers and again, what, we, what it is that we are called to do. 
Coming back to our text, Paul continues. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition nor conceit. Now, Paul here tells us quickly that arrogance and pride will ultimately divide a church in a very unhealthy way. Now, again, let me unpack that thought for you. You see, there is a division in the church that is good. I want you to know that. That division is found uh, for the purpose of multiplication. And this occurs when a church plants another church, which is something that we are about here at Southside Baptist Church. However, if our pride and our arrogance leads us to divide and therefore cause a church split, as we're seeing in many of our sister churches, then this is not healthy for the church. So Paul here warns against rivalry. And not just a, a warning, but a literally a put it to death type of moment. So you see, as God's people, we should seek the glory of Jesus Christ instead of seeking the glory of our own name. So we have to ask ourselves, man, how do we struggle with rivalry within the church? Well, answer this question. Do we rejoice when someone is being used by God to advance the gospel? Or do we become envious? The answer to that question will determine whether or not you struggle with rivalry. Now I want you to notice that if you read that passage again, you see that Paul uses the word conceit here. And Paul is literally talking about a vain glory, or better yet, an empty glory. In other words, Paul is saying to us this morning, this glory that we seek of ourselves, it simply does not exist. It'd be almost like Paul telling us this morning, listen, if this, if this is all about you, if this is all about your glory, then I want you to understand this, okay? Understand that you are literally conceited over nothing because this gospel is not about you. You did nothing. It was God who did everything. And so here Paul reminds the church that their declaration should always be, Jesus has all glory. It is Jesus who is the one to follow and not the ways of the world. So how do we check ourselves for conceit? Well, answer the question, are you competing for the approval of people? Are you fighting for the attention and the praise of people? Are you concerned for others? Or do you believe that you are superior to them? Man, if your answer is yes to any of the first two or three questions, then you may have a problem with conceit. Coming back to our text, we see Paul go on to say, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. And so here is our truth this morning. There will never be unity in a congregation if people are not walking in humility. And as you're going to see as we continue to walk further into Philippians chapter 2, I want you to notice how humility is going to become a key theme throughout the rest of this chapter. You see, humility is at the heart of a gospel-centered church. In fact, as believers today, our ultimate example of humility is Jesus Christ. 
You see, Jesus is the Son of God. He had every right and every reason to be arrogant. He had every right and every reason to flex at the end of a moment. Yet we see that it was Jesus who emptied himself and made himself lowly for the sake of sinners. And he did it all for the glory of God. Notice the example he sets for us today. Paul goes on and he closes in verse 4 by saying, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. You see, as a unified body of believers, we are called to live with sensitivity towards the needs of one another. Again, go back to Acts chapter 2, verse 45. What does it tell us about the local body of believers? And they sold their goods and possessions and gave to each person as he had need. So when we are talking to people today, Maybe we're not meeting a physical need, but when it comes to to talking to them and hearing their heart and hearing their hurt and hearing their struggle, do we really listen to what it is that they are saying or are we simply preparing what it is that we are about to say back to them? Man, you see, we live in a time where thinking of others is incredibly rare. Man, you don't believe me, then... Why, why every time I turn on the TV now, I feel like, and this has been a term that's been around for years now, why do I feel like we keep referring to this generation as the selfie generation? I mean, why? It's because we've become that narcissistic. I mean, how many times have we driven around town and people are in the middle of our roads trying to get fancy selfies? People are in the woods. There's a bear. Selfie. Click. Hashtag don't get mauled. I mean, how many times do we see that? How many times do we see people posting videos of themselves and photos of themselves in some form or fashion in order to do what? Promote themselves. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I get on social media right now and I see pastors pull out their phone and I have mine up here for for time purposes and they pull out their phone and they're like, hey, let me get a picture real quick. Boom. And then they take a picture and then you go to their Facebook page later and they say, hashtag preach Jesus, hashtag bold for the gospel, hashtag humble servant. Are you kidding me right now? Man, Jesus and Paul would both agree on this right now. They'd be saying to us, listen, no brother, no sister. It's way too easy to think about yourself. Way too easy. But rather what you're being called to is you're being called to practice thinking of others. You're called to, to, to practice thinking and meeting and serving the needs of others. You see, those, those thoughts in this particular posture flow from an attitude of, of humility that, again, we read about back in verse 3. You see, as a humble person, we should always be thinking of others. I love what one scholar said about humility. He said it this way. He said, only when we possess the grace of humility will we serve others with spiritual sensitivity. Again, another scholar that I, that I love to read and, and admire and respect, John Stott, says it this way. He says, at every stage of our Christian development and in every sphere of our Christian discipleship, pride is the greatest enemy and humility our greatest friend. So you see, for the good of our lives, for the unity of the church, for the good of our own witness, we should want and desire to know how to grow in humility. 
And so you may say, well, how do we do that? I mean, don't get me wrong. I am not lining up to write a book on humility at this point, okay? That seems a bit self-preserving. Some have and some have done it very well. But here's what I can tell you. According to Paul, Paul would answer that question this way. According to the text, he would say, listen, reflect on the cross. Reflect upon the glory of Jesus Christ. Reflect upon the word of God. Grow in prayer for one another. Serve one another. Be faithful servants within the church and through it all, whether it be in worship, in prayer, in service, give God the glory for he alone deserves it. You see, as Christians, we need to realize that this place is not our home. Man, we're simply passing through. But as Christians, we also now have a standard that is greater than the standard this world has to offer. We are called to to serve and to obey a different king. Now, no, this king is not our president, but rather our king, he alone is Savior. He alone is our Lord. He alone is our rock, and he alone is our redeemer. And yes, his name is Jesus. You see, as God's people, my prayer is that we would live our lives in a way that reflects the value of the kingdom of God with which we now belong. And so may we live lives worthy of the gospel. A life that is worthy is one that recognizes the call. A life that is worthy recognizes the command to serve one another with humble compassion. So through the motivation of unity, through the command of unity, through the declarations of unity that we see in our text, we can see clearly what it takes to have complete joy. And that is the command that Paul gives the local church. Let's pray together.